So I want people who are around me to understand. I'm not gifting you this as, well, here it is and just do it. It'll be easy. I want you to have an experience with me of what I went through, not so that you don't have to go down the potholes, because I think we all have to do that but so that you don't buy into any of this nonsense, which is so perpetuated in Western world right now, that other people have got it nailed. Welcome to the Rebel Souls podcast, where we flip the middle finger to the status quo. I'm your host, Shelley Paxton, lifelong rebel, liberator of souls, and author of Soulbatical, a corporate rebel's guide to finding your best life. Settle in as we dive deep with badass leaders who are rebelling for what matters most in life, business, and the world at large. I'm so happy you're here. Let's get this revolution started. Hello and welcome back, fellow rebel souls. How's everyone doing? I know it's still crazy times. We've got two pandemics We've got COVID that's still raging, and hopefully we're all still wearing our face masks. I know I am trying to be as safe as possible, boost my immune system, drinking my green smoothies every day. Hope you guys are figuring out what that is for you and being safe so that we can start to hug again and travel and see each other in person again. I don't know about you, but I miss hugs. I'm a rebel who just loves to like squeeze people. Anybody who knows me knows that that is the truth. So it's been the hardest thing. Anyway, I hope everyone's doing well. And then continuing to fight for racial justice, pandemic number two. And I, I'm super excited about voices that I have coming up on this podcast, friends of mine who I'm just so happy to hand this platform over to and just talk about their genius and their activism and their black voices that we need more of. So stay tuned for more of that. You've heard already from some of my phenomenal friends from Cornell to Cheryl to Rochelle, and there's so much more goodness coming. In this episode, though, we are going to talk about rebelling for being remarkable with my friend and soul sister, Danielle McLeod. Danielle is, I tell you, you guys, we just got done recording this and I say this in the conversation, I can listen to her all day long. Literally at some points, it's like I just found myself staring at the screen, listening into my headphones and not even wanting to ask another question, but just let her go. She's super passionate about helping us all get out of our own freaking way to really embrace our gifts and bring them into the world in a remarkable way to have a big impact. And Danielle tells so much of her story. She goes all the way back to when she was a young girl in school and what the kind of original or initial catalyst was for her really understanding that we all are special and that we all can be remarkable. And it's because somebody told her the opposite. It's a really profound story, and I think many of us have our own version of that. And so she's now dedicating her life after, well, I shouldn't say after, she's been dedicating her life to 
really sharing her gifts and talents and operating in her zone of genius and helping to bring it out in others, in particular women. She talks about her corporate life. So Danielle and I both share a past. We, we didn't cross paths in our corporate world, but Danielle talks about her corporate career and the pinnacle of which was becoming customer service director at Sky TV in the UK. And Sky is one of the, ma- it's a huge blue chip company, massive media company. And Danielle overnight went from having a team of about 65 people in her change director role to a team of 10,000 call center employees at Sky TV as the customer service director. And it really was her calling to step into her genius and not listen to other people say the way you should lead a massive team, the way you should run call centers. She really tapped into her own genius and remarkableness and humanity. And this is so much a story of how we can all find that. And I'm not going to spoil any of it, but it, she talks about how that was kind of her first glimpse of, oh, this is my strength. This is how I can pull out the best in people and how that's led her to become a coach and an author and a teacher. And you're not going to want to stop listening. And I will t- give you advance warning. You probably already saw this on the little time clock. This is a long episode. And I wanted to let the conversation keep going because it's brilliant. And she has so many juicy nuggets to offer. And Danielle says up front, she's like, I've never really been known as a rebel. She's married to a rebel. I love her husband. He's a fellow rebel soul. However, what I'm trying to get everybody to understand is that we all have that rebel inside of us. We all have something that we are rebelling for or some things that we are rebelling for. And her story is so powerful. You're going to get a lot out of this. And it's our way. Her book is called Remarkably Easy, How to Get Out of Your Own Way and Unleash Your Brilliance. And so we get into some of that and some of what she teaches the world. So once again, guys, this is a master class. I'm, I'm starting to sense a theme here with all of my guests that they're giving us free master classes in stuff that is going to move us forward. So don't miss this conversation. Keep listening. We're going to dive in. By the way, Danielle and I, we met through a coaching community and we went on to do the Brene Brown work together. So you might also sense that connection. We don't talk much about Brene Brown in here, but we talk a little bit about, you know, vulnerability and yeah, we get into it and, and, and she shows up very vulnerably. Danielle shows up very vulnerably in this episode and we get to learn from it. We get to witness it and watch a master in action. I'm so honored to know her and to be able to share her remarkableness with all of you so we can help unleash yours. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Danielle McLeod. Before we begin, I want to share an offering from my soul to yours. If you've achieved traditional success only to realize that you're living someone else's dream, then this will start you on a profound journey toward becoming chief soul officer of your own life, just like I did. I'm gifting you a free chapter from my book, Soulbatical, A Corporate Rebel's Guide to Finding Your Best Life. It's called Liberating from the Shackles of Should. And if you're ready to, then visit soulbatical.com to download it for free. That's S-O-U-L 
B-B-A-T-I-C-A-L.com. Warning, side effects include intense joy and fulfillment. Hello and welcome back to Rebel Souls. I'm so excited to introduce you guys to Danielle McLeod. Danielle, welcome to the show. Hi, I'm so excited to be here. Yeah, I have, you know, as I said in the intro, it's like you are not only a friend, you're one of my favorite people, you're a fellow coach. I feel like you've been kind of a like a Sherpa to me in this whole space of, of coaching and building my business and helping me to be remarkable, which I know is one of the things we're going to be talking about today. Yeah, we so thank you. Right back at you. I was like, it's my soul sister. We're just going to have a chat and people are going to listen to it, which is so cool, right? Well, and that's kind of what we did. I remember it was, it seems like a long time ago now when I did yours, Remarkable Conversations. Is that what you're calling it? When I, when we had our, well, we've had many remarkable conversations, let's be honest. That, that was, that was only one moment in time. And I was thinking back to it. I'm like, well, that's actually what this podcast is really becoming. It's becoming me being my authentic self, connecting with people who I know and adore and are having a big impact in the world or people who I want to know and adore and are having a big impact in the world and rebelling from what matters most to them. And they're all turning out to be these amazing organic conversations and I'm getting great feedback on it. So that's what this is. This is a soul sister chat that we are inviting some incredible fellow rebel souls into. So let me start by asking my favorite question, Danielle, what are you rebelling for? Well, you know, you'd think this would be obvious, right? But when you asked me to think about the question, I was like, I want to rebel for a lot of things. <laughs> and so in the end, I said, I'm going to rebel for the the one that overarches everything, which is being remarkable. And I think that enables me to tag in all the other things I want to rebel for. I mean, it's funny, I don't describe myself as a rebel, but I for sure am generally find myself pushing against the status quo to to wake people up, you know? Yeah. And you do it well. You are married to a rebel. Yes, so, <laughs> so it is rubbing <laughs> off <laughs> day, day and night. John, John is like my sole brother. <laughs> Danielle's husband is incredible. And he is a rebel through and through. I would say John's a bigger rebel than I am, which I love. He's a huge rebel. And it's funny because rebels are drawn to me because they think characteristically I'm a rebel. And what my business partner, Nick, who you know, said to me was, she said, what people don't realize about you, the difference between you and a rebel. She said, the rebels just kind of go, F it, I'm going to do it. She said, whereas you calculate the risks and then you decide to break the rules. Oh, that's <laughs> said, brilliant. So, yeah. So it's like you said, for example, if I was speeding on the motorway, as we would call it in the UK, she said, you would know where it's safe to speed and then you would choose to speed then. She said, whereas a rebel would just put their foot down and go with the wind. That's, and I think that's a perfect way of describing the difference. Oh, that's brilliant. That's brilliant. And I love, I mean, so much of what I love about you. I mean, there are so many things. I love what you said earlier, where it's like, you are, I describe this podcast as like, hey, we're flipping the middle finger to the status quo. And ever since I met you, I'm like, oh, that's what this woman is doing it. And you're right. You're doing it in your own way, which is why I want to have such a variety and diversity of personalities and voices and perspectives on this show because we're all doing it in our own way and you are doing it, sister. So I want to take a big step back and let's start unpacking what does it mean to be remarkable? Because I'm deep in your world. I'm in your Remarkable Women community. We're going to touch on all of this. 
But I kind of want to take a step back and talk about the journey that led you to wanting to stand up for being remarkable and help bring that out of other women, right? Because it's women first and then... You know, it's really interesting because you were saying that I thought, where does this story come from? And I haven't ever told this on a podcast. So there you go. You're going to get a bit of the exclusive. I love it. I have told it in, in one event that we ran many years ago and I've never, I've never told it since. So here we go. And as you said it, I thought, oh, well, actually this is where it comes from. So and it's a, it was a bit of a traumatic experience as a young girl, actually. So I was brought up by my parents to believe I could be anything I wanted to be. And many things interesting about my childhood, but I want to give them big ticks for that because I think it enabled me to go out into the world. You know, I genuinely thought I could be prime minister. You know, there was no question about that. It was a real thing. And I want to be clear, like I didn't come from some rich family with loads of politicians behind me. Obviously I'm not prime minister, but I believed it was possible. And that's how I was brought up. And then a thing happened to me when I was 17. And I really think this is what stems from, I think this is why I'm rebelling for being remarkable. I won a scholarship to a private school, a girls' private school, and I was literally the poor kid amongst the rich kids, but in a really lovely way. Like the girls were my sisters. I never felt less, apart from one or two occasions that kind of occurred with adults actually, rather than the girls at the school. And one of the things that happened was when you were kind of, you might know this because you went to a, a one of those special kind of schools as well, was when you were quite young, you were groomed for sort of positions as you moved up the ranks. And it was clear that I was being groomed to be head girl. Um, and yet there was this kind of question mark I think everybody had under the scenes about could a scholarship girl, could a scholarship girl do it? Can you describe and, what being head girl means? Because I yeah, don't think everybody that <laughs> <laughs> Well, what it meant actually in, the, in that school was that you became the ambassador for the school. So you were the one who would go and speak at events. What's interesting is, even though I didn't get it, and I'll speak to that in a second, I was still I was still that person. So it didn't make any difference. They that's still what they wanted. And you're kind of in charge in a very odd way, not really because there's teachers, right? But you're like the the one everybody looks up to, your name gets carved on the board. It's all that crazy archaic stuff. But I wanted it. I did want it, but I'd never spoke to it because I grew up in this. My father, I think, really taught me not in a good way to never show when you wanted something, never show when somebody hurt you, never show when you wanted something so that you didn't get egg on your face if you didn't get it. And so a couple of things happened. One was that the year before they were due to choose who was going to be head girl. I got in a bit of trouble <laughs> and it was probably the only time I ever did because like I said earlier I would calculate the risks of where I would misbehave but I, I got in proper trouble I got caught sliding off on a weekend with an army boy and my best friend and her boyfriend and uh, didn't go down so well certainly not for a future head girl so I think it's fair to credit some of what happened to what happened then even though it was kind of hidden behind the scenes and then what happened was the, the teachers all met one day to decide who was head girl. And you knew when it was happening. You, you knew exactly what was happening. And it was clear to me that I hadn't got it when the two teachers who I knew would have been my champion walked out of the room with like thunder on their faces, absolute thunder on their faces. And I remember thinking, just hold on to hope, hold on to hope. But I knew, you know, I absolutely knew. And the way they announced it is like the Oscars. <laughs> God. So, yeah the whole school is together and they announce at the front of the room who are the who's going to be head girl who are going to be the deputies and everyone kind of looks at the one who didn't get it because there's always somebody who didn't get it right and on this year it was me 
it was just one of those moments where I just thought, well, I've got to do what I've been told. I'll smile graciously. I won't let anybody see how much this has hurt me. And I'll crack on with my final year at school. And so I became like head of my house and I got all these other accolades because obviously I didn't feel very good about it. And I didn't get to be head girl. And then what happened one day was totally out of the blue. I went down for lunch where you used to have to eat with the teachers. I mean, it was very, very public school. Um, you had to eat with the teachers. And I was in the queue for lunch and the headmaster came up to me and he said, I need to see you. Can you come to my office after lunch? And the only reason you would get to go to the headmaster's office after lunch is because he would, you'd get some special favour bestowed on you unless you were in trouble. And I knew I wasn't in trouble because I hadn't done anything. So it was like, oh, something nice is about to happen. So I'll go up and see the headmaster and I was all excited. And I walked in the door and he sat me down on his flowery sofa and he had this pile of letters in his hand. And he said, these need to stop. I'm going to feel really emotional in telling this story now many years on. He said, these need to stop. And I said, I don't know what you're talking about. And he said, you do know what I'm talking about. These letters need to stop. And I, and I just looked at him and I said, you're going to have to tell me more. I was 17, bear in mind, I'm a kid really at this point. And what had happened was a load of parents had written to complain that I hadn't been made head girl. Oh, and I, wow. I didn't know. I didn't know. And I, of course, I didn't know. How would I know? Well, hence, it was like he thought I'd started a campaign. <laughs> and um, he said to me, and I realised now as an adult, this was just him sort of chandeliering shame, as, as you and I would describe it, sort of passing it off to me. But he said, you need to get this very clear. It was something like this, because obviously I've edited a lot of it out now. He said, your father's told you you can be anything you want to be. And it's not true. He said, you're not special. And when you get out into the real world, you're going to find out you're a small fish in a very big pond. And I sat with this poker face on. And I, as soon as I got out of the room, I remember just running down to the toilet and just sobbing my heart out. And I would attribute that to my first eating disorder. Because from that point, I start, I, I couldn't work out what I'd done wrong, really. I think I was just a confused young girl. And so I thought, well, I'm a bit fat. Um, <laughs> maybe it's that. Maybe that's what kind of got in the way of, of people liking me and so I ended up going to university by the time I went to university I really wasn't eating at all so I survived my first week at university on a six packet of chips as you would call it that's all I ate for a week and what happened at uni was I started to get drunker and drunker and then I would eat because I was hungry <laughs> and so that's how I emerged from my eating disorder not in the most healthy way but I think there's probably a bit in me that doesn't ever want anyone to be told they're not special and so it makes a lot of sense that 20, 30 years on, I can't remember how long ago it was now, I can't do the math, look at me, 25, 26 years on, I'll be rebelling for remarkableness. Whew. Well, thank you for sharing that story. I mean, one for, I, I only know you as this beautiful, vulnerable human being, and you and I have been through Brene Brown work together and all of it, and you just modeled it so powerfully. So thank you for sharing that. And it makes sense. I, I've only heard pieces of that story before. And it, yeah, isn't it funny how that stuff sticks with us, right? It sticks with us. And you went on quite a journey when I think about those 26 years. Okay. From that moment, from that being, you know, one of the, one of the catalysts for your, one of your two, you know, times you've struggled with an eating disorder, I know, then going into the corporate world. So no, you didn't go become prime minister, although I know you've considered it. I know you've researched it. Maybe we'll talk about that. 
you went into the corporate world and you had this incredible success in the corporate world. It's almost like you took, as we would say, like the long way around the barn to then come back and realize that your purpose in, is in helping others be remarkable. So yeah. can you talk a little bit about that piece of the journey? Because I, at least what I know of it, and in having read your book, Remarkably Easy, which we will talk about, I see kind of the, like, I think the seeds were also being planted in that corporate journey and what you were able to do. Well, I'll let you tell what you were doing. Well, I, so I, I left uni with a politics degree and became a secretary. So that went well, because actually the only thing anybody wanted me for at that point was I could type like the wind. Um, I'd done data entry as my sort of part-time job and you got paid for how much you did. And so I'm a competitive spirit and I was like 125 words a minute at peak. So I was very valuable as a secretary, but I didn't want that. You know, I really didn't want that because I still had this voice. For all I had the voice saying I wasn't special, I had the other voice saying I was, right? So I want to be clear, that was, there was always that kind of dichotomy going on. And I was always, I think, quite determined that the, the voice that said I was special would win. I'm not sure that was always a healthy fight. And we can talk about fighting later because you'll know that's part of what we teach to step away from the fight. But equally, I think where that gave me a big advantage was I was in the boardroom when I was 21 because I was taking minutes in meetings. And one of the things that you would, what you would know about me is I'm very perceptive around behavior. And I'm also very good at handling difficult men, let's put it that way, difficult men, um, which probably comes from my father and also then, you know, my headmaster and other people at young ages. And so I just started speaking up in board meetings and say and so only when they were talking about things about the people and that's not because I wanted to be in HR which is where everybody pushed me it's because that's the bit I understood so when everyone was talking technical construction which is why I couldn't talk about that but when they started to say well we want to train people in this so then I would chip in with well here's what they're talking about in the coffee room and here's what's going on out there I think you do well to look at these things and people would kind of turn around and go who is she again <laughs> But after time, because I was so flipping good at taking minutes, everybody wanted me in their board meetings. And that meant I could be at everything because that was one of my, almost my um, strategic tools, really. I could take great minutes and I could have them out really fast. And none of the other secretaries ever wanted to do it. And I'm like, are you crazy? You can be in that room, you know, when you're 21. But even then, my dad was very frustrated I wasn't on the board when I was 22 because obviously I'd gone to university and that's what you go to university for. <laughs> And eventually I got maneuvered into HR. And then I took a job with, which was meant to be the job of my dreams, with a guy who inspired me deeply, who was running an organization that felt like it was underpinning every value I stood for. And I describe it as being caught by the child catcher from Chitty Chitty Bamba. <laughs> <laughs> so it was one of the most shockingly shocking experiences in my life to get into this organization and find that everything was not even close to what it seemed so it was another moment of wake up for me actually was I describe it as I walked out and that's not that's too brave a statement I didn't do that I took a lashing from the CEO one day and I stayed for quite a while afterwards and then one day I watched him literally work his way around every office in the building ripping people's heads off making people cry because he was really good at that and I was the HR director so you can imagine how that made me feel and coming home just broken and my husband said to me you have to leave Danielle you have to leave and so I said to him I can't I don't know how to speak to this guy I'm actually so frightened 
that I won't be able to have the conversation. It's easier to go back. <laughs> I mean, that's insane, right? But I mean, you see that in abusive relationships. So it's well, not- a lot of us can relate to it. Absolutely. Yeah. And so my husband said to me, so you'll see how old this was. He said, write him a message and then turn off your BlackBerry and give it to me and give me your car keys and I will take them in and you never have to speak to him again. And I'm like, oh, I can't do that. I'm an HR director. I'm on the board, you know, blah, blah, blah. And he was like, just do it. So I did. It was an incredibly difficult thing to do. I think it did take a degree of courage because it felt so alien, but also it felt cowardly. And I left. I was pretty broken. I cried and cried and cried. And in the midst of all of that, I went to a leaving dinner for the woman who took over my job when I left Sky TV, which is who I was working for in HR. And my now business partner was there. I didn't know her, but I'd heard a lot about her. She joined after I left and everyone said she was phenomenal. And she walked up to me at the end of the evening and she handed me her business card. She never spoken to me and she said, I don't know what's going on with you, but something is very wrong. Here's my card. <laughs> I mean, how astounding is that, right? And she doesn't even remember doing it, which is so funny. She, she says, you always tell this story, like I did something amazing. And I said, well, people don't do that, Nick. People don't walk up to strangers and go, I'm here for you. And about three days later, I was weeping away again. And my husband said to me, I just don't know what to do with you. So I feel like I want to wrap you up in cotton wool. And I went, I've got this card. <laughs> and he said, call her. And I didn't call her, I emailed her. And I said, I don't know what you meant, but can you help me? And she went for Sky and I went back to meet with her in Sky. And she coached me for about two and a half hours. It was an astounding meeting. And she would tell a very different story of it to me because she tells her story of revving up to meeting me because I'd had this strong reputation. So I rejoined Sky as a change director. Well, so as a head of change at that point. And then I became change director. And then I became customer service director. So one day I got a call from this, the now COO. And he said, Danielle, we want you to run the call centers. And I literally burst out laughing. And he said, I'm not joking. I mean, it was insane. I was looking after 65 people. And the next day I was looking after 10,000. This was the change. And I went home and I cried again. There's a lot of tears in this podcast. And, I didn't <laughs> remember. and my husband said, why? Why are you crying? And I said, I remember saying to him, why do they think I can do it? I'm a secretary. And I know it's incredible. And this is why I'm, I rebel for remarkable because this voice in our head that will have us play small all the time is exhausting. And you have a name for that voice in our head. What do, you, <laughs> yeah. what do you call her, Danielle? I call it the crazy lady. Like there's just this noise that is banging away in my mind all the time. And I, I describe it as this. It's funny because it's an interesting word to use right now. And I'm talking as somebody who's had mental health issues. So let me be clear about that. I think we all have our own flavor of self-attack and I tend to see mine play most strongly in the body image space but every now and then it does clever stuff like this which is you can't look after 10,000 people you're a secretary <laughs> you know and it takes effort to move beyond that to it's make exhausting yeah, exactly that exactly that and so and of course what happened was I mean I had a coach at that point because I knew <laughs> I knew someone had to hold my hand through this and and allow me to stand in my authenticity and my strength and my own remarkableness. Because the danger, Shelley, was, and you'll know this because you've had a big corporate career, that I would walk into a job that I knew nothing about and spend all my time trying to know the things that everybody else knew already. And I could lose a year, two years trying to get up to speed with things that, one, I wasn't interested in, and secondly, I had no aptitude for. And I made a very early choice, thanks to working with her, that I would not do any of that, that I would do the thing that I already knew I did well. 
And that was, I would inspire people to get on the bus. Hmm. And I would make it my responsibility to create an environment where they fell in love with their work. And that's, we're talking about contact center agents here. You know, this is not work people fall in love with. And that's all I turned my attention to for the four years I took that role on. We improved our customer satisfaction by 140% in four years. And every metric flew. And still, and I was very clear early doors that this was working as a strategy and I should stick with it. It was still hard, Charlie, because I was swimming against the tide. You know, people wanted me to become the metric genius and the, I, there are words used in call centers all over the world that I still couldn't tell you what they mean. And I ran 15 of them for 10, for four years, right? Because I just said, I will give you my strength. I will give you my remarkable, unique talents. Don't drag me into things that other people do so much better than me. So I did rebel heavily for that for four years. There's so, I mean, there's so many lessons in what you just said. And the one that's really standing out for me, because I remember it from your book, is you really encourage all of us, like as a way to really step into our remarkableness, if that's, if that's a word, (laughs) really embrace our talents because we are so good at going, no, no, I'm not really very good at that. That's not really a talent. So-and-so is way better at doing that than I am. And all of those things, right? Those are our crazy lady talking or our crazy guy talking for the men who are maybe still listening to to this with us. And what you just said is, I embraced my talent. Like, this is what I knew I was good at, getting at the humanity and pulling the humanity and the passion and the wholeheartedness out of people who are in these call center roles. Like, how amazing is that? We should all take that away of like, you guys, when we really embrace our talents, magic happens. Well, do you know what was so amazing? And I don't write about this in the book. It's another half-written book that may be published one day. I made a decision very early on around what, what do I need in order to be successful? And you can do this as a senior leader, right? So who are the people I need around me? But then what we did after I had built a team that totally played to strengths. And what was so amazing about that, there was some like really, in my mind, crappy jobs that needed to be done. But when you just said, all the jobs on the table, stick your hand up for what you want. Every single job got taken right and this was only a team of I think we were 10 maybe at that point and people took them because they wanted them it was like I want that one which one do you want you know and everybody got the stuff they wanted so we can all live into but nobody wants to do that thing and my experience was that wasn't true right so we blew it up and we went out into all of the call centers and we said do the same thing you may not change your job title you can't do anything that gives HR a headache and we're not giving you any more money but knock yourself out everyone just do stuff they're good at just do the stuff you're good at and somebody else can do the stuff that they're good at and let's see what happens. And I, that's how we got our results. It's, it's amazing because I think all too often there's a focus on these very dry metrics that just don't tap into people's hearts and passions, right? And so there's, there's a lesson here, like that's how you motivate humans. Well, no one wants to, I mean, you know this, right? Because you've read The Big Leap, same as me. But this idea of zone of excellence and zone of genius, right? So this sense of there's work that we can all do and it's not actually our talent, right? But we're so good at it. People keep asking us to do more of it, right? And that's our zone of excellence. And then you get into zone of genius and it's like, 
oh my God, this comes so easy to me that I can't even declare it as a talent because I think it's easy for everybody. And it's never, ever true, right? So when I was director of change, which actually was a job I always thought I wanted, it was sexy projects, but in, in essence, it was how does a widget stick into another widget? And it's really important how widgets stick into, another, into other widgets, but I didn't care. And it wasn't interesting for me and it broke my brain and I could do a really, really good job of it. And, and actually in many ways, better job than lots of other people. But Shelley, it exhausted me. Like I would just go home and be like, how have I spent all my time trying to get this job that now is like killing me? And <laughs> the minute I got the opportunity to move from those 65, 65 people who I dearly loved, I just didn't love the work to the 10,000, actually it became so much easier because I was doing what I was good at and it was needed because you want 10,000 people on the bus, right? Yes. Well, you literally, (laughs) you've totally, and you very literally became the poster child, didn't you? (laughs) Within Sky. I mean, you guys, Sky TV is massive in the UK. So we're not talking about a small organization. This is a blue chip organization, as you can tell. I mean, 10,000 people. I think the most people I led around the world were 250. And that felt like massive keep me up at night responsibility, right? I used to walk into the office that, that I mainly spent my time in. And there this voice in my head would go, I used to do it almost every day. And it was so really egotistical, but it wasn't actually. It was to keep me humble. And it would go, there's maybe one more person in that building today who's more senior than you. Or today, that whole building, if something goes wrong, they're all going to look to you, right? And then this other voice would be like, and you were just the secretary, but in a, in a more gleeful way, right? <laughs> And this in a more was, celebratory way, right? And I was in awe of that. I was in awe of it. It seemed to me an incredibly wonderful thing that a kid who'd been brought up in inner city Liverpool could be standing there and go, oh my word, somebody let me play with this, you know? And what an exciting privilege. And so there were most of that time, I really danced into that building because I knew I felt like I'd come home. I really did. And that, I think, just ingrained in me even more, this idea that we're not all brilliant at everything. And when I rebel for Remarkable, I do not rebel for everyone be prime minister, everybody make a billion dollars, whatever. I'm not rebelling for that. I'm rebelling for you to live into your talent and your design. Because there's never going to be another Shelley Paxton in the whole of space and time. There's never going to be your unique set of gifts and talents. And so if you choose not to use them, we will never, ever see them. And I just think that's a deep tragedy. And also why, really, why the world is as screwed up as it is right now, because we're all denying our brilliance. And I was doing some work for another client. She did this thing. She rented my brain for a while, like you told me to. Um, we have to yes. And I was going through some quotes to kind of help her with a, a program that she's creating. And I came across that brilliant Marianne Williamson one, which is, um, and I wrote it down so I wouldn't forget it. Um, and then our deepest fear is not that we're inadequate. It is that we are powerful beyond measure. It's our light, not our darkness that frightens us most. And when I wrote it down for her, I was like, I had to sit with it for a minute because I've read it a hundred times before, but you know, sometimes you pick something up and it's like, oh, And I was like, this, she's so right. You know, this, it's not that we're inadequate. I don't believe. I think we let that voice kick around, but it's almost like, uh, it'll sound really crazy, but am I dangerous if I unleash all of this stuff? Can I contain 
what's inside me, what gets created as a consequence that for me, I mean, I had a conversation with Nick a few months ago and we were talking about what were we going to wanting to create with our lives. And we were talking, she's a meditation monk, among other things, you know that already, a modern day monk. And we were talking about enlightenment and, and where are we going to go? Where are we going to shoot for enlightenment? And I always play this game. So, you know, when I'm rebelling for Remarkable, there's still a bit of me that wants to rein it back a bit, rein it back, rein it back. So I was like, well, I don't know if I'm going to shoot for level one. I might shoot for level three kind of thing. And she just looked me in the eye and she went, I'm going for level one. I'm going for enlightenment. And I was like, oh, and this is why she called me for on many occasions. And when I saw that quote, I was really reflecting on, well, why have I decided to not go for enlightenment? And let's just talk to briefly what that means in case nobody understands. But it's this, it's, you know, be a Buddha, be a Dalai Lama, whatever, but be so at peace with the world that nothing can phase you. And I swear, you'll laugh, Shelley, because when I thought about why was I not shooting for it, I'm afraid of it. Yeah. I'm afraid of, well, what if it costs me my marriage? What if it costs me the things I want? in my life what if I have to go and walk around the world in an orange shirt and <laughs> with a sash around my belt and that's all my life becomes and the point we're missing there in all of that fear is if you are utterly at peace with the world none of those questions are relevant anymore yeah I, I heard this, I have to add to this. So Varian Brandon, who I think you know, who's part of Rich Lippin's community, said something so powerful that is resonating with exactly what you're saying right now. I have goosebumps from head to toe and she calls it her willing to lose list. Because if we aren't willing to put people, places, things, activity, work, whatever it is, on a willing to lose list, then we are never playing as big as we're meant to be. And so this thing about attachments is very frightening for all of us. You know, what am I willing to let go of in order to? And so part of why we created Remarkable Women, which was an evolution of our original business, was because all of our research told us when we spoke to high potential women that they were holding back. And Shelley, it wasn't because they weren't confident. And frankly, I'll call this out to everybody now, tell a woman for long enough, she's not confident, she might start to believe you, right? If you keep hammering that message home, then when you start to ask women, why are you not? They go, well, I'm not confident, right? You've got to get underneath that and understand if that's really true. And actually what we saw time and time and time again was, I'm afraid of the cost. I'm afraid of the cost. I'm afraid of the cost to my health, to my relationships, to my wealth, to my security, to all of these things. And therefore, I will stay here and I will play a little bit smaller. Enough for people to think I'm doing okay, but I'm not going to go the whole hog because I'm afraid. Whew. Let's let that one land. I mean, that lands so deeply and personally for me. I can clearly tell for you it does as well. I mean, the passion in your voice, I'm guessing it does for many people who are listening right now. And I mean, this is, this is big stuff, right? I wake up every day and think, in order for me to show up as my most authentic and courageous and powerful self, big shit's got to happen. And it's scary. And I'm going to have to say some things that maybe I wouldn't have said a couple years ago. I'm going to have to be more vulnerable. I'm going to have to show up in a way and be unattached in a way that I haven't been able to do in the past. And it's a work in progress. Mm -hmm. I so relate. And so that's 
really my life's work, right, is how do I continue to evolve in that space and then do what I do so well, which is explain that to others yeah. so that they can grab a slice of it too. And because that's one of my gifts. And so, but I'm really doing it for me. Let me not kid anybody. (laughs) I am doing it for me because I want to, whatever the end looks like for us, right? I want to go, I want some chart somewhere that goes, well, Danielle McLeod, she had a proper go after it, right? Amen. Well, and by the way, I want to say this, not that, you know, my, my job here isn't to blow smoke up anybody's ass, but you are a remarkable teacher. And myself and, you know, tens of thousands, if not more, other humans have benefited from your wisdom because your wisdom comes from your own journey. And the exact way that you've just, you've told the stories from the very beginning and in the way that you just shared that, that is how you teach. Because you're teaching, I know when you teach master classes to us in the Remarkable Women community, you're teaching what you most need to learn in that moment. And you're bringing us in on your journey. And I, well, I want, number one, I want everybody to experience that. So I want us to segue into like, okay, so what does this mean? And how can, can, how can all of us unleash more of our brilliance and more of our remarkableness? But I also just want to acknowledge you for that. And thank you, because I do believe that is, that's, that's mastery. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, I, I remember a while back reading somebody saying that mastery is, is being able to teach it to others. And I've realized that really I've been doing that my whole life and I'm what they call a maximizer. So if you've ever done strength work, but it's really me, I take a concept and I, I can blow it up. I can see more in it almost than the original person. And I was thinking about this last night. It must've been for this call. Loads of new stuff came to me last night. This happens all the time, by the way. I and I realized it. that even as a kid, like I wanted to, I wanted to write books. That was part of my ambition. I eventually did it, as you know, but it was quite a painful process for me. But actually what used to happen, thank you, all the time when I was a kid, was the teachers would get me to edit other kids' work. And other kids whose work I edited would win competitions because I was a really, really good editor. And But no one ever acknowledged that. They would just go, Danielle, you sit down with so-and-so and help them make their story better. <laughs> and so one of the things I've realized, and often um, sometimes I can get called out by some people who are like, but you're always teaching other people's work which actually frankly Shelley, I believe we all are I there's nothing new on the planet let's not kid ourselves we, we, these Steal stories shamelessly this is Austin Cleon's <laughs> work yeah, right I, I flipping love that book you know because all I'm doing is gathering the the things that resonate most with me and then presenting them to those who are interested in hearing and but what I always do which I think is so important is I like to add, and you've just called it out there, I've probably never described it before, I like to add humanity to the teaching. So I want people who are around me to understand. I'm not gifting you this as, well, here it is, and just do it, it'll be easy. I want you to have an experience with me of what I went through, not so that you don't have to go down the potholes, because I think we all have to do that, but so that you don't buy into any of this nonsense, which is so perpetuated in Western world right now, that other people have got it nailed. Because it's just not true, you know? And so, and I remember someone saying to me, which was absolutely brilliant one day, it was a woman I was coaching, who was a bit more uh, woo-woo, I would describe it, than me. But I really enjoyed coaching. And by woo-woo, I just mean that I sort of bridge spirituality and practicality. I would say that's kind of where I sit. 
And she said, you know, sometimes I wonder if I was better off not knowing. Mm-hmm. And I said, what do you mean? And she said, well, you know, there's all these people out there who are not in this space of spiritual growth or personal growth. And I think some of them actually are happy. And I agree with that, by the way. I think there's a bunch of people who are who have been gifted with a softer voice, less drive in them. I think some of us have just I've been born with that or we've been gifted it through our growing up. And she said, sometimes I, I wish I didn't know because I'm constantly in pursuit. And so one of the things I always want to say to all of our women is you must never go for more from a place of not enough. You must never go for more from there because then it's exhausting and it's relentless and you're never there. And so the, the word that I want to bring to people is like a child going, what else is there? What have we got to play with today? Not until I have this, until I am better at this, then I cannot be worthy of. And if we can just flip that and go, oh my God, how much more is there? You know, this thing about Remarkable, I, I, I'm very passionate about this, as you can see, right? I just think that humans are tapping into about this much of their potential. Like, I think potential is the most overused inappropriately used word in the development lexicon let's put it that way because everyone goes oh I want to help people release their potential when I'm talking about your potential and my potential people say if you said to me what am I living into in in my own potential I think I'm like a three out of ten and you can ask me in a year's time and I'll have pushed a four and given myself three again because I've seen what else there is to shoot for human beings have allegedly put a man on the moon right Somebody one day worked out how you could put a little box in somebody's house and shoot moving images to it of people who were the other side of the world. We can do astounding things. We can create the impossible. And so when I talk about unleashing our potential, and let me say this with reverence, we are gods (laughs) playing like mortals, you know? And so, and I know I'm doing that. And so, and I don't mean that from a, I'm a Christian, right? So I want to be really clear about that. I believe I was made in the image of God. So I'm not saying this from a blasphemous perspective. But if I'm made in the image of God, then there must be a bit of me that's God. And even if you don't believe that that's what you are, right? You have to know that you are an exceptional being with capability in you that you cannot even fathom. And that's what I'm shooting for. I have no idea how to get there because none of us have these answers. But I do know it's the best flipping game to be playing in. <laughs> well, and you're modeling it, right? You're, you're, I mean, I'm just, I'm an, I could just, I mean, as you know, I've said this to you before, I could just sit here all day and listen to Danielle preach all <laughs> freaking day long. You go girl, cause I'm signing up for all of it. And what you're talking about, I'm a believer and it scares the shit out of me. Right. So it gets back to what we were saying earlier. I would love for you to share with everyone who's listening one of what I know is your North Star and your touchstone that keeps you thinking big and playing with the impossible. So you have a hashtag. (laughs) I do. This one. Uh, Yes, I forgot you had the little thing. 
Okay. So what Danielle's holding up, wait, well, you keep holding that up because I always get the words or the letters wrong. It's hashtag T-M-R-W-I-S. So she's holding up her little, what do you call those? The desk plaque, like a yeah, little desk plaque. Thing. Yeah. yeah. So it's like a, her job title. And she puts this in all of her emails as part of her signature. And I would love for you to share the, you don't have to share the full story, but help people understand what that is because I've never seen someone have such a powerful, like, you know, this kind of like beautiful goal as a North Star every single day. Well, I nicked it obviously from Steve Hardison, who is the ultimate coach. And, and one of the things people would learn about me is I write people off really quickly. And so if you offend my basic morals one way or another, I decide I'm not going to engage with your work. And I'm learning to get better at that. But I'd written Steve Hardison off very early because of his obscene pricing model. <laughs> and actually, you can't find anything much out about Steve Hardison apart from people who've already coached with him. And one day I'm sitting in Nick's office and I, she has this crazy inbox. It's always full of a million emails and we've had many conversations about this. And one of the emails I can see says something, Steve Hardison, T-B-O, hashtag T-B-O-L-I-T-N-F-L, hashtag T-B-O-L-I-T-N-F-L. And I said, what is that? And she went, don't look, it'll just annoy you. But I'm a questioner. So I raised, I just took a snapshot of it. I have a very photographic memory. And I went home and I looked up hashtag T-B-O-L-I-T-N-F-L. And I come across this video where Steve Hardison is talking about how he took an offensive linesman, Deuce Latoui. I know he's an offensive linesman because of the hashtag, not because I understand I know. <laughs> and, by, and by the way, we'll put a link to this video in, in the show I notes. I don't think you can get it anymore, interestingly. Oh. I've looked for it. I think they've taken it down. Yeah. Okay. All right. So let's ones. Um, but maybe it. we can through our contacts. So I'll do a really quick version. So Steve Hardison decides he wants to coach somebody else in the NFL starts ringing around and gets hold one day of Deuce Latoui, who says to him, the guy you're looking for, you're not going to be able to get hold of him because he's leaving. Why are you looking for him? And Steve Hardison says, because I can change his game. And Steve Hardison is not a sports coach, to be clear. And he, I don't know what he says, but Deuce Latoui says, well, he's off. Will you do for him what you do for me? Will you do for me what you would do for him? And so Steve sets all these bonkers conditions and Deuce Latoui flies off to his ranch. And the story is eventually they get into this conversation and Steve Hardison says to Deuce Latoui, Deuce, who is the best offensive linesman in the NFL? And Deuce Latoui goes, oh, well, I think it might be. And he says, no, no, you're missing the point. Who is the best offensive linesman in the NFL? And he says, well, I think it might be so and so. You can see already Steve's telling this story and he says, Deuce, are you the best offensive linesman in the NFL? And he's like, no, no, I'm not. <laughs> and so they go through this whole exercise where eventually they give him the hashtag, hashtag T-B-O-L-I-T-N-F-L. And he is everywhere they go. They bring banners. They rock up to his games, all the rest of it. And he eventually gets signed for whatever team he wants to be signed for. And then he blows it, interestingly. So it's an interesting story. But as I watched the video, I... I remember thinking, well, I, I need a hashtag because often I would ask my clients to come up with their job title of who they want to be. So like you're a chief solo officer, you didn't do that with me, but you do it too, right? And I, people would say to me, well, what's yours? And I couldn't do it, which just felt so crazy because it, I don't very often teach techniques that I don't embody, but I thought I can do a hashtag. And so I sat there for a long time and I thought, right, this is what I'm going to be. I'm going to be the most remarkable woman in Scotland, which is where I live. And um, people say to me, why are you not the most remarkable woman in the world? And Michelle Obama, Jacinda Ardern, you know, I want to give some people their place, right? Um, 
<laughs> but I was willing to take Scotland, and I think Nicola Sturgeon's giving me a run for her money right now, so that's all good. Um, I would argue that Scotland's just the starting point for you, lady. So, but we've all <laughs> got to start somewhere. Exactly that, and it. The, this is how it works. So, what was so powerful was the next day. In fact, it's not. It happened in the in the day of me watching that video. I watched the video in the evening. Earlier in the day, I'd received an email from a stranger who a while back had asked me to speak at one of his events and he'd written to me out of the blue with a very powerful request saying would you come and speak at a disrupt hr event and i don't normally do stuff like that it's not really my scene necessarily and obviously most of my speaking events are paid right but he asked so powerfully i thought this guy's kicking off something really exciting in edinburgh i'll say yes so i wrote back to him and i said yes and then on the day of me watching this video i get an email from him saying like he'd never spoken to me before saying Thanks for requesting to speak at our event. We don't need you anymore. We've got lots of consultants already there. So I was a little bit, can I swear? Oh, of course. Explicit so all bit, day. It's good. I was a little bit pissed about that. So I was like, how did you asked me? And then I kind of did my, my pacifying thing, which was, it's okay. I didn't want to do it anyway. Move on. But I was disgruntled. And I watched this video in the evening, gave myself the hashtag, the most remarkable woman in Scotland, went to bed. And I woke up in the morning and I was still quite angry about this thing. And I thought, hang on a minute, I'm the most remarkable woman in Scotland. He's just turned down the most remarkable woman in Scotland speaking at his event in the capital of Scotland. Well, I, I, let me write back to him and let him know. And so I didn't write something. I wrote this email very carefully crafted and it felt really edgy to do. And what I wrote was, I, I just want to write back to you and say, I think you may have forgotten that you invited me to speak at your event. And so, and actually I moved a lot of things to make it happen. I said, notwithstanding that, I will make every effort to be at the next one, which is what he'd asked me to do. Please give me loads of advance notice. Let me tell you why you need me there. And I said to him, you know, as well as I do that, at all of these events, if you're lucky, one or two speakers create a great event for everybody. And everybody has to listen to all of the others, because right? <laughs> that's what always happens. I said, and I just want you to know I'm one of those people and I'm willing to back you. I'll be here for you. Let me know when the day is. And I sent it and I really felt sick. And he sent me a note back the next day and he was like, I've never read anything like this before. We need to speak. And I, I spoke at the first event. <laughs> as of you, course. Uh, yes. we've, we've had it. We've continued a relationship ever since. And so having that hashtag enables me when I'm really afraid to just catch a glance of it on my desk and go, okay, Danielle, you're not in charge today most remarkable woman in Scotland, how would you do it? <laughs> I love that, right? I mean, we all have that version of, you know, what would X do, right? What would Danielle do is definitely one of mine, right? That's one of my, so this is powerful. And I invite everyone who's listening to this to say, what is that for me? I have a, it's making me laugh because I have a desk plaque that's somewhere on the other side of the room. I can't grab right now, but it just says unfuckwithable. <laughs> And P.S. That's proper swearing. Pissed off isn't proper swearing. You can do better than that. <laughs> I'll, I'll dial it off as we go along. We've got time. <laughs> exactly. I want a good f bomb before the end of the <laughs> the end of the episode. F bingo. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Exactly. But I think about this. You know, hashtag. You know, the most remarkable woman in Scotland has absolutely challenged you to play bigger every day. And guys, if we are not feeling queasy, I love that you said that, Daniel. It's like you sent that off and it's like, oh my God, I'm turning green. I feel queasy. And that's how we feel when we're pushing our edges. That's how we feel when we're doing that scary thing that's like, oh, I'm taking the next step, <laughs> right? 
tell you, if you, because it's true. You know, there are loads of things that I am not good at, but I knew, I knew that I could make his event a success. I knew that. Yeah. And so I'm not arguing for bullshitting your way through stuff. Can I, I'll take a B-bomb, but I'll do an F1 later, right? I'm not arguing for bullshitting your way through stuff. I'm arguing for owning your gifts. Yes. Owning your remarkableness. And I, I know that because I've spoken at so many events where people are like, oh, hallelujah, she's walked in the room and now we've got somebody we want to listen to. There are a million things I am not good at. Never ask me to be the CFO of a company because your money will all go down the drain and nobody will know where it is, right? There are things that you do not want me to do, but you do want me doing that sort of stuff because I'm good at it. Yeah. It's it's the same as chief soul officer does for me, right? Because it is a reminder every day of the responsibility I have to my truth and to my gifts, to my essence, to my values. And when I come from that place, when I show up and speak from the soul, I know I rock people's worlds. Yeah, exactly. So it's, yeah, for, for everyone listening, it's, it's finding what that is. And it is, it's owning your talent, but in a big way. What is yeah. the thing that challenges you? Because I remember when I first took on Chief Soul Officer, it's like, oh, that felt really weighty. <laughs> I was like, I, can I live up to this, right? Because I was so disconnected from my soul and its truth at the time. And I didn't even understand what my purpose and calling was. So it's beautiful, like your version of it, my version of it. And I want to get into, because I would love to, before we have to wrap this up, we probably have a good like 10 minutes, but I want to, I want to talk about your book because what you do so well, you said something earlier that struck me as another example of your genius. You are you bridge practicality and spirituality. And my experience of your teaching has always been, oh my God, she can just, she can just crystallize this into something that's actionable, even if it's a tiny step. She's somebody who can take this massive overwhelm that I often feel about the bigness of what I want to do in the world and make it seem easy. And that is one of your many gifts. And so I have, for anybody who's watching this, I'm holding up Danielle's book, which I love. It's called Remarkably Easy, How to Get Out of Your Own Way and Unleash Your Brilliance. And I will say that the little blurb on the top, the endorsement is from me. I, I was honored to read this before it even came out into the world and to be able to share my endorsement of it. And I have gifted this book many times. Like I just love, I love it. So I want to talk about it because we've, we've already, you've already planted some beautiful seeds on like how to unleash your brilliance, unleash your remarkableness. So let's talk about some more, you know, like practical ways that we can get the fuck out of our own way because that's what's happening. Yeah, yeah, it really is. It really is. And so, well, let's talk about tiny steps because like, you're right. That is my gift. And I didn't see it until I started working with Nick. And she said to me, it's incredible, Danielle. She said, every time we came across an obstacle in our business, she said, I'd be there like rocking in my chair thinking, well, now we're going to have to work out how to do this. And you would literally go, well, it can't be that hard. <laughs> and you would just pick it up and start doing something with it. And I hadn't seen that before. I didn't know that that's what I did. And so I, I guess some people, it's funny, some people describe it as they, they describe themselves as lazy. I don't think people would describe me as lazy. That's not my, um, but Never. I, say, I say if you know the quickest way to get somewhere, that's a gift. 
you know, that's a gift. And so one of my gifts is to invite everybody to take the tiniest step they know how to every single day. And I posted something on that recently on social media. And someone had said, you know, but it's really, even the tiniest step can seem scary. And if that's true, then the, t- the step's not tiny enough. Right. So let me give an example of a conversation I had with. In fact, even if we went to people feeling nervous going into an interview or something like that. Right. If you can say to the voice in your head. Right. Literally. Right. I feel the voice in your head is like, oh, my God, we're going to screw up this interview. I feel really nervous. I feel really nervous. And you go, well, all I'm going to commit to right now is I'm going to walk into the building. I mean, you've opened doors, many doors in your life, and you have taken many steps into buildings. This is not scary, right? It is not scary to walk up to a receptionist and say, hi, my name's Danielle. I have a meeting at three o'clock, right? That's not scary. And so if we can break things into the tiniest steps possible, we can do incredible things. And so often I'm saying to people, just show up every day and take one step in the direction of your mission, your goal, your purpose, whatever it is you're trying to create. Because Shay, I don't know how to get to enlightenment, right? I do not know if we take my mission, which is smaller than that, which is 50,000 heart-centered leaders changing organizations from the inside and a movement of remarkable women. I also do not know how to change in the world. Let me add that bit. I also don't know how to do that, but I do absolutely know how to do one thing more than I did yesterday. I know how to reach out to a person and say, would you be willing to have a conversation with me? I know how to write 10 lines of my next blog. Maybe I can't do 10 today, but I could do the title. And so often I'm saying to people, who's got that great quote about we, we overestimate what we can do in a week and underestimate what we can do in a lifetime. Yes. You know, the thing about having an old star and saying, right, this thing is so big for me. I know already there's so much fire in my belly. This can be my whole life. And I want to acknowledge that can be hard for people to work out. Go read the book if you want easy paths to get there. (laughs) Uh, That doesn't give all of it, but there's some of it. If you know what that is, then you just show up every day and go, right, does that still resonate with me? Yes, it does. How do I move myself one step closer? And if you think about a North Star, no one, I don't know how to get to a star. Like, but I do know it's in, over in that direction. And today, if I can ask myself, what's one thing I could do to move myself forward? It might be a text, it might be a little WhatsApp voice message. It doesn't have to be a big thing. And I think we overwhelm ourselves constantly with the big thing. You know this, you've written a book, I've written a book. If you put on your to-do list, write my book today, you are screwed. Oh my God. This is what David Allen, getting things done. This is what he talks about, right? Because we often go budget, you know, fix relationship. You know, we have these massive find job, (laughs) these massive things where it's just like, well, that will crush the best of us if that's how we want to think about it. But yeah, it's like you said something earlier that I think is worth digging into and you hit on it in the book as well. We so often don't ask for help. It's incredible. I mean, the, I, and I have to teach this like all the time because I am just so rubbish at it. <laughs> I'm better than I was. And I, I think I was brought up with the like, I'm doing it myself. I'm doing it myself. And, and certainly if you look at kind of my personality type, that would run through very clearly. I was talking about this on a podcast recently and actually somebody emailed me afterwards and I didn't, I'd forgotten I'd done this podcast. It was such a long time ago, pre the crazy world we find ourselves in now. And she emailed me to make an introduction of herself. And she said, I would normally ask you for a coffee, but I know better now having listened to your podcast. And I thought, what on earth did I say? (laughs) 
And she said, and I wrote back and I said, I can see why I might have said something around that. Remind me again what I said. And she said, you talked about the nervous request and the lazy request versus the powerful request. Mm. And so one of the things that I think happens when we are afraid of asking for help, which we can be, is we do a crappy job of it and then people don't help us. And then we go, well, nobody helps me when I ask. And that gives us permission to not ask again. And so what do I mean by that? I mean, a nervous request is, oh, I'm expecting you to say no anyway. So I'll go, I know you're really busy. And if you haven't got time, blah, 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 right? Nervous request. By the way, that is one of my favorite lines. I actually highlighted this. You really need to stop saying other people's no's for them. Exactly. <laughs> like one of my favorite lines in the book, because it's like, we do it all the time. So I'm already, inv- I'm making it really easy for you to say no to me. And there is a difference, by the way, between making a request that has no expectation attached to it, i.e. it's okay for you to say no. I'm, we're not going to, there's not going to be any awkwardness between us. You don't need to feel guilty about it. And me giving you full permission to just like ignore what I've said because I've done such a wishy-washy job of it. And so one of the things I experience in the asking for help is we sort of ask half-heartedly nervously fearfully whatever that looks like and then it doesn't land and then we think well nobody wants to help us and then we're in a vicious cycle and so a lot of what I love to teach because I need to practice it myself is what we call a powerful request right so how do you ask for something from somebody in a way that would have them go even if I say no I'm so glad you wrote to me I'm so glad that you asked (laughs) because actually it's quite an honor to be asked Yes. Help somebody else. And you want to go, and and what I found for me is I'm well connected. You are too. Often my no can come with a no to that. What about this? Yeah. How do we get creative? Yeah. I've actually been, I'm going to be teaching this on a masterclass this week. I've been reading some books on negotiation recently. And one of the things I started to realize, which I'm going to be teaching later this week, because it was so useful, was we actually are not often very clear what we want. And so when you said, for example, get a job, you know, you see this all the time. People on LinkedIn right now, it's prolific, going, oh, open, can anyone help me find a job? And it's like crickets, funnily enough. Or they write a powerful piece about why it's really hard to find a job, and you see loads and loads of comments, but if you click on them, there are other people going, yeah, I feel exactly the same way. Well done you for articulating. Nobody's actually in there going and I've got a job for you. And what's happening is people are then tagging recruitment agents or people who might have jobs, but there's no information there around what the person actually needs so that they don't respond, the people who could help. Yeah. Right? And so it's like, what do you think is going to happen when you just throw a, a random request for help out into the ether and what the worldwide internet fairies are going to help you <laughs> find your job it doesn't work with what right because if we don't define the what yeah so make it easy for me to help you make it easy I want to give this because I thought it was just genius and it's not mine once again but I love it and this is me always teaching other people's concepts but because I love them so much I saw this brilliant post from a woman on LinkedIn a long time ago and I wish I kept it and I didn't so I'm having to paraphrase here she was one of those people who'd won the opportunity to go to Necker Island and be with Richard Branson right and one of the things that was happening over the course of that weekend is they were all getting a chance to pitch 
something to Richard Branson. And as I read it, I was like, that makes me feel a bit sick because you know what happens at these things. Like people pay a lot of money for a pointless pitch because they don't know what they're doing and they haven't done their research on how to do a pitch and their product's useless anyway. And it breaks my heart for them because I think who has let you get this far without giving you strong guidance and mentoring to show you how to craft that in a powerful way? But what she did was superb. She, she ran a travel magazine company. And she said, I knew Richard Branson was not going to give me any money. And this was my one opportunity to be in front of him. And I thought, how can I make it easy? One of our strap lines, how can I make it easy for Branson to help me? And so she walked in and she said, I'd like to sit with you for just two or three minutes and show you one of my magazines. And if you're willing, I'd like to gift you with enough boxes of it to put in one of your hotels, a hotel of your choice. Brilliant. Lo and behold, does Branson not go, well, of course I can help you with that. Because it doesn't get any easier. You made it real and you made it easy to say yes. Yeah. Mm. And so when you want to ask somebody for help, it's not a panic thing that you do really quickly. Unless, of course, you're actually holding things in your hands and you're about to drop them, in which case, knock yourself out. But if it's it's something you really want people to help you with, you've got to sit with and craft the request so that people will join you and help you or introduce you to other people and want to be part of whatever it is you're creating or be able to say really powerfully this is not my mission I I, I'm not going to be in here with you but wow am I cheering you on from the sidelines yeah and or introduce you to somebody who I know who can help because I understand what you're asking for it's so interesting I'm reflecting and almost kind of patting myself on the back because very recently Chip Conley who was on who was on the podcast amazing he was great (laughs) yeah he's had to pivot his entire business so Modern Elder Academy you know with COVID and with restrictions around travel and just general concern around how do you create an intimate yet safe environment they've completely pivoted to now instead of the original workshop curriculum they're creating sabbatical sessions you can go down and spend two weeks or four weeks down at modern elder academy and have more of a self-guided experience but with access to chip and the co-founders and it's a brilliant idea and when chip first mentioned it to me i said I love it. I just, I'm so, I I just give you so much credit for pivoting. I know how challenging it is right now. And what if I sent you one book for every single guest who shows up so that part of their experience is to read Soulbatical while they're down there having this experience and doing this work? And he was like, boom. And so we're literally sending off over 200 books so that for every guest who comes in and be as, is a part of this. And I hadn't even looked at it through that lens. It was just, it was coming from this place of how can I help make that the most powerful experience possible? And of course it benefits me as well. And he was an automatic yes and so grateful. So yeah, how do we create more of those opportunities to move, you know, that's moving me toward my goal because it gets more people exposed to this message and helps liberate more souls in the world. Yeah. And there you are mutually assisting each other, actually, which is beautiful. Right. And so because we're not supposed to go alone. You know, I have no doubt about that. 
we are absolutely not supposed to go alone. We're supposed to be, we're just releasing a leadership, a remarkable leadership program at the moment. And one of the things we ask the women to do when they join is say, what's the change you would love to see in the world? And I think they're a bit freaked out because I think they think we're now going to call them into creating that change, which we're actually not. We're just curious about what it is. We'll hook them onto their own mission that's appropriate for them. And it's what's so beautiful to see, and we will collate this so that they can see it, is how many of them have that in common. Yes. And you just think, well, if these people were just get in a room together and stop trying to go alone all the time, it all gets so much easier. And that's at the heart of Remarkably Easy is like, how do you make this easy? It doesn't have to be this hard. Yeah, we get so we get so caught up in our head. I have uh, like a thousand more questions because as you know, I can listen to you all day. I can talk to you all day. Before we talk about where people can find you, because I can't imagine one single beautiful rebel soul who's going to listen to this and not go, I want to learn more because what you're creating in the world and just how inspiring both you and Nick are, um, hopeful people will want to dig deeper. But you are, before we end, you are the most, I was going to say one of the most, but I think in my world, the most well-read person I know. You have so many books on the go. Well, it's books and it's podcasts and it's all the things things, right? And as part of your community, every month I get something called the inspiration larder from you, which I love. So larder is kind of like, you know, it's like our, what do you call it? It's kind of like our refrigerator, but pantry. Yeah. Yeah. It's our pantry. So it's like, you just share, what are the things that are inspiring you and what are you learning from them? So if you had to pick one thing that you're reading to or listening to right now that you would share with everybody, what comes to mind? Oh, can I have two? Yeah, of course. Oh, come on, Rebel. Hello. <laughs> well, the reason why is because one is the thing that has most impacted me this year. And that's the book Siddhartha by Herman Hesse, which is an old classic. Yes. We'll put a link. Yeah. And why that? Because it's just one of those stories that I'm going to read it every year. I've no doubt about that. It's one of those stories that is ancient and is so pertinent for today. And we're talking about this in a time where who knows what it'll be when when you release this, but we're in COVID right now. And I think it couldn't be a more important book. There's this great line in there about I can sit and I can wait and I can fast, which I just invite everybody to read. And then moving on from that, and I'm just finding what the title of it is, which is another one of my passions. So I'm just reading it at the moment and I can't remember what it's called. I literally want this book out in the world so everybody can read it. So it's called Spoon Fed, Why Almost Everything We've Been Told About Food Is Wrong. And it's by a guy called Tim Spector, who you may know in the States, you should, because he's leading at King's College in the UK, along with the University of Massachusetts, the biggest study on COVID-19 at the moment. Oh, um, wow. Yeah, millions of people uh, reporting on his app every day. But his other scientific research is in food. And I'm a real advocate of how we have been conned into believing all kinds of things about food and diet. And I want as many people to get their hands on this book as possible because I'm like, hallelujah, a scientist, a very renowned and respected scientist is now telling us why we should not fall for science all of the time. Fascinating. Um, and so I just want everybody to read it. And so it's only no, out this week. <laughs> oh, it is just out this week. Yeah. Okay. Oh, so you got your hands on it early. That's what I was going to say. Well, this this podcast will, it's not going to be that long. It will probably come out in October. I think everybody would be listening to this in October. So COVID will still be very real and that will be available. So we'll make sure there's a link to that book as well. You and I could do an entire episode and maybe we will do a kind of rebelling for body positivity. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, it just came to me and just talking about, because I know you've done a lot of work around eating psychology with your own challenges. I struggle with body image constantly. I've talked about it in a solo episode. I would actually love to do that. So let's find time and just to like go deep on that topic because I think it would be so valuable. So I may even see if we can get you a favorite person of ours because I do have a direct link to Taryn. Oh, yes, that's right. <laughs> Maybe we do, maybe we do a three-way. I wonder yep. if there is a conversation between the three of us. That would be really powerful. All right. So, so I want to go on and I'm, I'm, I'm sort of beating myself up in the moment because we didn't even get to talk about the queen archetype and so much of what you teach. And I'm sitting here going, I even wore, so I'm going to stand up for those of you who are watching on YouTube, I literally wore, I had this t-shirt made. It has a gold glittery crown on it across the chest because I learned so much about these amazing archetypes from the, the work that Danielle and Nick do that I incorporated it into a presentation of mine a couple of years ago on the stage of Grit and Grace Day with Cheryl Jackson, who was also a guest on the podcast. And it's still, it's like, I hadn't pulled this t-shirt out. I absolutely love it. I forgot about it. When I knew I was talking to you today, I was like, I know exactly what I'm going to wear because I'm going to own my queen. So I do want to say at the risk of going a few minutes longer, you just help us understand what the queen is as almost like a teaser for people to want to go deeper into your work. Yes, for sure. Because this is uh critical work so let's just do really quickly everyone imagine a triangle and this is archetypes work but we do it in a very specific way so three positions that we can take in our life the bottom left is the position of the victim so and we all do it by the way we all stand in all of these positions so the, the victim essentially walks around the world saying why does this keep happening to me that's their statement and you know the victim because they're talking about them all the time you know i can't do this because they won't let me all of those sorts of things and we never want to be a victim because we're just giving away all our power, all our ability to create in the moment. But we all go there and we go there frequently. But really of the three, we just never want to be in that position. If you move to the bottom right, you move to the place where many women and men go who've been victim for a while. And some of them choose to stay there forever. And I'm going to invite everybody listening to this to resist the urge to do that. And that's the position of the warrior, W-A, not W-O. Um, often people think I'm talking about warriors. <laughs> And the warrior says, I'll beat this if it kills me. I'll beat this if it kills me. And so I spoke earlier about the fight and how I've moved my mentality away from fighting for things all the time. Because what we see with warrior behavior all of the time is if you're willing to die for your cause, you better be careful about the cause you choose. You know, you better be careful about it. And what we see all the time, and I've done it myself so many times, is we've, we're willing to die for stupid things. Like who's paying for the Christmas party this year? Or... Can people fly first class or business class? You know, we're willing to die for stupid things. And when you look around the room, there are dead bodies everywhere. And sometimes you've given up an arm or a leg to win a thing that actually didn't matter that much at all. And so we invite everybody to harness their queen. And the queen has a really simple statement. So the victim is saying, why does this keep happening to me? The warrior is saying, I'll fight this if it kills me. And the queen is saying, I create my life. I create my life. And she's showing, and the king as well. So we have kings too. We don't just have queens. The queen is showing up in the world, ruling a nation. And she needs to live for a long time. And she needs to do powerful things. And she needs to live with grace and compassion and impact. And I know that whenever we teach this work, 
to women and men, because I do teach it on stage quite frequently, there are many people who heave a sigh of relief at the thought that they don't have to be a warrior anymore. And that actually what we see every time we teach Queen, and there's a lot of detail in it, um, is everything gets easier. And, you know, I've never described myself as the elegant glider around a room, but you know when you're in Queen because the world unfolds in front of you. It's a way of accessing a new level of remarkable. And so um, the more women and men who understand it, the easier things get in the world. And as you know, I'm an advocate for that. Absolutely. Well, that's a beautiful way to tie it all up. And I feel like the more I am standing in my queen, I am watching the world unfold in front of me. And it is happening and it is freaky and powerful. And I, you almost become addicted to it if I risk saying, saying that because it really is. It's almost, it's almost effortless when you are, because it means you're on purpose, right? And you're staying in that place without letting anything suck you down and without, you know, exhausting energy going to battle for the wrong things. So thank you for bringing us home with that. Where can people find you when they inevitably and undoubtedly are going to want to dig deeper into Danielle McLeod? It depends what you want, really. So you can find me on LinkedIn. I'm quite prolific on LinkedIn. So that's McLeod, M-A-C-L-E-O-D. Our website is www.remarkablewomen.co.uk. We may have won the auction for .com at some point, but someone's holding on to it, realizing it's worth some money, that one. <laughs> and you'll find us on Facebook. And we've just gone onto Instagram, which is hilarious because we've been going for just coming into our fifth year. And we've just literally kicked off on Instagram three days ago, having finally decided we need to do it. And it's very odd to be building a following again. <laughs> oh my God, that's hilarious. I had no idea. I've got to go follow you guys. I didn't, I didn't realize that. But I would say for anybody, definitely start with LinkedIn just to hear your writing. You are very prolific. You not only type 125, whatever that was, words a minute, and maybe you don't type that fast, but you think even faster. The speed at which you write astounds me. And I remember multiple times while I was writing my book, calling you and crying because I'm like, I'm so slow. How can I harness some of your energy? Because I'm exactly the opposite, but I really love what you put out. So if you guys enjoyed this, you're going to want to follow Danielle and dig deeper into Remarkable Women. I can't thank you enough, Soul Sister. This was the conversation I had hoped for and so much more. So thank you. Thank you. Just I'm so thrilled that you're putting this work out into the world. Yeah. Thank you for rebelling, for being remarkable, for showing up as the remarkable soul that you are and for enlightening the rest of us. I'm so grateful to have you in my life and now to share you with so many people. So thank you. And to all of you guys for listening, thanks for hanging in there. I know we went a little bit long, but I don't think anybody is complaining right now. There were so many juicy nuggets in that and even continuing for those last few minutes. So thank you guys and have an amazing rest of your day. Bye. Hey Rebel, thanks for listening. If you were inspired by what you heard, please subscribe, rate, and review so our fellow Rebel souls can find us. We have big work to do together. And if you want to dive deeper, head on over to my website at soulbatical.com and follow me at soulbatical on Instagram. Until next time, stay bold, brave, and badass, and never stop asking, what am I rebelling for?